State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's good, family? I'm Tamika D. Mallory. It's your boy, my son, the general. And we're your hosts of Street Politicians, the place where the streets and politics meet. We got a, a deep show today. I mean, you know, it seems like as we start focusing on certain issues, we travel into these real, real dark spaces. And um, I think the show that we're focusing on today is no different. It's like when we got into the issue around uh, medical kidnapping, which is a new term that I'm just learning about, um, and also just the unjust removal of children uh, from their homes and from their families for a variety of reasons. I Now we start to learn about all these other issues, and it's like you open up a can of worms. And I think the same thing happens in the police accountability movement. Uh, when you start talking about policing, then mental health issues come up. People start asking questions about gun violence. Um, the issues around guns come up. Uh, issues around driving while black. I mean, there's so many windows and, and, and rooms in the building. And I think that's what we're experiencing right now as we sort of focus on racism within the healthcare industry uh, because it's racism everywhere. And these particular systems, uh, they have some real uh, horrible ways that they treat black and brown folks, particularly black women, uh, that we're learning so much about. So today's show is pretty, it's deep. And for me, it's haunting because, um, you know, I know all about what it is to be a black woman whose voice is not listened to. Um, oh, well, speaking of voice, you sound like you got a little frog in your throat right that, now. I've been doing a lot of talking uh, over the last few weeks, actually. Um, and so I have lost my voice, but you know, I know all about what it is as a as a black woman to be um, misunderstood, to be mistreated, um, to be ignored, uh, to have my feelings and, and, and other things ignored. And it is painful. So listening to these stories, what some might think is a small thing, oh, you're being ignored or nobody. 
but it, it, it translates into so many places in our lives. And so today's show is going to focus on that. Yeah, and then also we also have a, a male, a black man, who who speaks on the same thing on how his voice is ignored and how his even place, you know, as his story is crazy. As a father, it's, it's pretty right. much you know. So there's so much going on, man. Um, I didn't even never really focused on the you know the um the medical mortality and things of that nature. Even though I've, I've heard about it, but just you know, just um, looking at these two individuals who we have here and just listening to their stories is, is really deep. So, you know, I'm definitely interested and can't wait to get into these topics and just inform, you know, our viewers and our listeners on what's going on. That's it. And that's the thing I love about what we're trying to do with street politicians It's different. You know, there are a lot of people who focus on the entertainers. Maybe they talk about some issues, but their focus is very different from ours. And we watch those shows, right? We love those love shows. Them. Funny, um, you know, entertaining. But on this show, while we do, you know, we cut up, we talk stuff, but we are trying to focus on serious issues, but breaking it down in a way that can be translated to the everyday person. And, you know, it's a, it takes us, it's a skill set that is required to be able to translate these big words. Like today, we're learning about, the HELP syndrome, which is H-E-L-L-P, obviously the acronym, um, you know, means helping women and listening to their voices. But H-E-L-L-P is a longer word uh, that describes a particular uh, syndrome and condition that women go through uh, when their blood pressure and other issues happen during the latter part of their pregnancy. And you can die from it. We've learned about uh, uh, pre Esclemia, oh Lord, I got to get that right. Hold Clamp, on. Esclampsia. Wait a minute. Hold on. We need, we need, we need Eclamp. our production team to tell us Eclamp. how to say it. I'm gonna tell you how to say it. Free eclampsia. There we go. Free there we eclampsia. go. And make sure y'all don't take that out. Keep that in there. The yep, we need that in there. That's that's Janice right there. Pre eclampsia. <laughs> Her name is Janice, um, but pre-eclampsia. That's a new No, word. that's not what it is. You keep saying one more time, Janice. Say it one more time for Pre-eclampsia. Yeah, pre-eclampsia. Right. That was what I said. That's yeah, that's what she was right. That's exactly what I said. Okay. So, um, you know, so that's a new term, a medical condition uh, that we are we're now learning that women are dying and or their babies are dying. Um, and they're experiencing a lot of, of, of unfortunate circumstances during uh, the birth period. So there's, it's, it's just, there's so much to learn. And to your point, not just learning it, but now that we know, we got to do something with it. Go takes me back to Dick Gregory when he said, once you put those glasses on, it's like glasses that help you see things that everybody else can't see. Um, and so as we are learning more and more about uh, racism in, in the healthcare system, um, and 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 not just racism, but as you said something on the last show, classism, because there are white women who are, uh, you know, most of them don't have means, who are experiencing similar situations, particularly around the separation of children from their fam uh, from their from their families. So it's it's a deep dark hole, trafficking, oof, sex trafficking. We talked with Tony last week, Tony Rivera. It's a deep dark hole. Yeah, it definitely is, man. Um, 
just hearing these stories. That's one thing I love about this, you know, our podcast, that it informs me. I learn every day. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. learning from different individuals. I'm learning about things that pretty much are common in our society, especially in the Black community, that I haven't even been privy to. So I know a lot of people, and I I pride myself on trying to inform myself and reading up and being knowledgeable and understanding what's going on. So I know a lot of our people aren't given getting this information prior to even hearing about it. So, you know, that's I'm proud of that. You know, we're actually doing a little something good here. Number one show. Number one show. Number one. We definitely are. So my thought of the day, because I've been thinking. Um, Because as we've been in this new space, learning more about uh, particularly uh, the child protective services, because that's what I've been, I've been, I mean, really, I've been doing a lot of reading and engaging myself in a real study practice around CPS and not to demonize all CPS workers. We've been saying that every week, right? Because uh, we know that there are child protective uh, workers out there who are doing a damn good job and they have little resources to none. In fact, my cousin Raven, um, who loves you dearly, um, she worked for Child Protective Services for a while and in the state of Georgia. And man, the stories, you know, of the things that she went through and she is not able to tell you everything that's happening, but you could see the burden on her when she would come home from work and she would just be like, you know, there's so much happening. There's so many problems. And I know CPS workers, just like police officers, just like teachers, just like everybody. They out there trying their best, trying their damnedest to save lives. But the systems are so corrupt. The actual system, the foundation of, of the way that they're told to do their jobs is so corrupt at the core. And as a result of that, um, we're seeing a situation where families are being and, and people are being harmed. And so, you know, just recently we got tagged. I know I've been being tagged to the story of a woman that a woman is telling about an incident that happened in a Costco. Um, in the Costco, she happened to see a family basically full of white people with children. And there was a young girl, a young black girl with them um, who told this woman, this is what the, this is the woman's account of the story. She told the woman that uh, the people that she was with, this white family that she's been placed with, that they were sexually assaulting her, the, the wife and the husband, and that the husband held her um, against her will. And uh, now when you, when you look at the imagery and even the video that the woman it's taking this advocate, the woman who's speaking up for this young girl. When you look at the video, it's clear that something's wrong. So this family, they're not feeding their adopted child. She's crying. They're being racist towards their daughter. You guys need to, we need to expose these people. This family, look at her. She looks hungry. And they're making her say that she's not hungry. And these people are, are disowning her and they're probably using her as a slave like they were back in the day. So yes, the sheriffs are on the way. I called the cause because yes, I'm a Catholic ass person and I'm not about to watch this go by. That is very rude and very disgusting of these people. Maybe, maybe to them it's not, but maybe they don't even know. Let's just say that they are not actually engaged in um, any type of uh, 
you know, negligence or, or even worse than that, criminal activity, right? Let's just say they're not. But they might not know that to have their, reg- their children, the white children, look, you know, pretty decent, cleaned up with their clothes on. And then to have this young girl with her hair matted and her clothes look like Mammy. That's exactly how she was dressed, like a little Mammy dress, like something from imagery from the 1960s. That's how she's dressed with this family. The wife looks like she's suffering with some type of mental issue herself. And of course, while this video was going on, they're standing around and they look to me like they know somebody sees them, right? So of course the woman can't stop them from taking the child, but she gets to the police. She tells the police about the situation and they go to investigate. And of course their report is they found no wrongdoing. Everything is fine. And this young girl is off with this family. Someone tagged me yesterday to something saying that the family is now moved from where they were and they went to another state. And this happens often. And so there were many people who wanted us to get involved and to deal with this situation. And it would just so happen that I mentioned this in the last, in our last week's show where we talked with Tony Rivera and we happened to mention that this was happening. It was a developing situation in which she said she was dealing with it and would get back to me. So my thought of the day is, As I look at many people who have reached out, even some of them are advocates themselves and they are helping with this situation. Why do people feel like the right way to address me or us and other leaders is to try to either shame us and disrespect us in order to make us pay attention to an issue? So people were tagging me and the comments are, you're trash because you're not helping this girl. You haven't done your job. Where are you? How dare you? You only get involved in cases when something you know benefits you, which by the way, that's the biggest lie that's ever been told because most of the people that come to us for support are people who have no name. No one really knows what's going on. Maybe their child was killed or some incident happened and maybe there's some talk online, but there's no organization around them. They don't have really the resources, the financial resources, which we have to often raise and bring to the families. And beyond that, they have no international uh, name the way that we ultimately did for Breonna Taylor. And I've been involved in many cases for my career, over my career, 25 plus years. I have been helping to take cases and families from one space to the next. When we got involved in Trayvon Martin, same thing. Trayvon had been dead. People were kind of talking about it. But when we got there and we put that extra work on it, Trayvon became an international name. His mother, Sabrina Fulton, would tell you that. Okay, and again, like I said, same thing with Breonna Taylor. So I'm trying to figure out why people feel like they need to shame you and talk down on you to make you get involved in something when they don't know who you're talking to. They don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And also they don't understand the process that it takes before people like us can go and get involved in certain situations. And I think, and and I'll, I'll let you respond, that one of the problems that folks deal with is not understanding that they're they're the fact that they have 500 followers or 2,000 followers and even 5,000 followers. They don't understand that when they go out and say something, the risk is not the same as someone like me and like us who have a million plus people and major platforms, because guess what? We will get sued. If we have not done the due diligence of having our attorneys get involved in these situations, 
Imagine us going out there and calling this family rapists, kidnappers, uh, all kinds of words that we need to, we would be using or at least implying in order to bring attention to a situation without giving our legal team the ability to look at the law and what we can say and what we can't say. And also the woman that's telling the story, we don't know her. I believe she's doing the right thing and I want to support her, but we don't know her. So we can't say 100% that what she's telling us is absolutely true. All of this has to be dealt with. And there are people out there in the world who don't seem to know or understand that there is a process that we have to go through before we get involved. It doesn't mean that we won't take on situations that's difficult because guess what? They told us Breonna Taylor's boyfriend was a drug dealer. Our ex-boyfriend was a drug dealer. They told us, oh, Kenny Walker, he might have something over here. Breonna's actual boyfriend. They told us, well, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Eric Garner, he was selling Lucy cigarettes. Nicole Bell's man, they tried to put all, they disparaged them with all types of things. Joe Guzman, Trent Benefield, they arrest records from the past. Every case we get involved in, Mike Brown, oh, he, he, he attacked the man at the store. Every case we get involved with, there's a story. There's always a backstory. I got a backstory. There's some shit you can come right now and say, you're going to help Tamika and there's going to be some shit, right? Everybody got a story, but it takes a process so that you can know what your risks are and how you intend to approach a situation. So my thought of the day is like, what the hell are y'all talking about? And why do people who've never been in our positions have so much to say about things that they don't have to assume the risk for? Well, my assessment of the situation is that there are two types of people. There are people who actually just don't know, right? And then there's the type of people who just want to hate, right? They just want to do anything to, to make you look negative and vilify you, right? So the people who don't know, they make statements, hey, why are you hiring doing anything? Why aren't you doing this? And what's going on with this? And they don't understand exactly how it works. And then there are people who have unrealistic expectations, right? They expect you to talk about everything that's going on in the world. There's so many different things. If people were able to see our DMs and our emails and see how they're flooded with so many different individuals who have an issue, right? And, and, and they will understand that we don't have the capacity as an organization, let alone individuals, to bring to light every issue or every situation that somebody brings to us. And everybody feels that the situation that they think is important is equally as important. There's nobody who doesn't think that the boy who was running down the block and he got hit with somebody threw a rock at him doesn't think that's more important than the police that shot him or the, the kid that shot Everybody thinks that their issue is paramount to everything else. So they're gonna come at you. So that's, that's I, I've taken that. But then there's just those people who are actually agent provocateurs, right? They sent to try to, you know, to, defame you and make it seem like you're not doing your work. They have a little bit more followers. They utilize social media and this internet in a different platform, in a different way in which they utilize it to where the message that they have is spread all over the place. So it starts to become a, a reoccurring theme, theme and a narrative that people grab onto. Yeah. So those are two things. So what, what I say is this, we have to continue to just do the work, right? And I understand how it can be demoralizing. And I understand why, like before I used to be like, yeah, I don't understand why a lot of celebrities just don't step up. Like you got a platform, you can do this. And they're vilified, right? And this is not their everyday work. 
some of them step up and just want to say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't agree with what happened, man. Let me say something about it. And people start tearing them down. Oh, you don't do this. What are you doing this for? Oh, you, you should have been did this. Or, oh, nobody cares what you're saying. Just sh shut up and dribble or shut up and, and rap or whatever it is. So it is, it is you know, this, this work that we do is an everyday process. It has to be God's God. purpose for you because it is very painful, especially when you have, you know, when you care about your name, you care about how you are portrayed, when your reputation is like, because for me, my reputation is all I ever had. You know, prior to getting involved in this, in, I mean, this work, doing prior to rap or anything, I was a respected individual because of the way I carried myself and the way that I, I, I dealt with integrity. And that's that's one thing throughout my history of my life that people were always able to say about me. And this was the first time, even in hip hop, music, whatever, my integrity was never in question. Right? It was my talent, my skill level, or did he wash up, or nobody cares, and I went through all of that. But this space, people started to attack my integrity as a man and calling you scammers and stealers and liars and clout chasers and amber, all of these names. So it takes a lot, man. It really takes a lot. This has to be your calling, you know? So, and we, and we, we deal with it very well. You know, I know that a lot of people, there are a lot of um, leaders who past and present who have just said, fuck it. You know, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm just going, I'm not saying nothing no more. Let them deal with it. They, some of them have, quote, unquote, sold out because of that. Because they said, you know what? I'm doing all this fighting for people, and the people don't give a fuck about what I'm doing. They calling me all types of names. And I'm not, I haven't benefited anyway. So let me start benefit. I don't care what nobody thinks now because I've lost so much. And they attack my own people that I'm trying to save, and I'm trying to help, and I'm trying to do all these things for are the ones attacking me. So it's just so much that goes in that, that you know, that, um, question that you you know your thought of the day is very thought provoking i just ask people man just to take the time before you write something or before you say something before you attack somebody before you accuse somebody so like somebody wrote today to say you're a scammer and i said just prove it show me one person i ever scammed all you have to do don't just don't just go on the internet and just write something you know just throw something into the atmosphere that you have no proof of you have no knowledge of you just heard a narrative and you grabbed onto it and then you're spreading it and you're putting it on people, you know, and, and I just ask, you know, as individuals, as people, as black people, as people in our communities, before you attack people that are doing work that you never done and never will do and don't even understand the capacity in which it needs to be done, just ask yourself, do I know what I'm saying? Am I sure about what I'm saying? Am, am I clear? Do, am I, does it make sense that I do my due diligence, that I research, that I do all of this? Do I understand what it takes to do what this individual is doing? You know, just just do that, you know, because we we still humans, you know, we, we're human beings, just like you. We just happen to have a different calling on our lives and we move in a different space. So, you know, I just ask people, please, man, before you write something on the Internet, before you attack somebody, before you call somebody, you know how many times brothers have called me names and just said names, and I'm like, brother, why did you have to say that? And, and I and I say, hey, well, this was going on, on my fault. I didn't mean but you didn't even take the time out to know what you meant. You just got so caught up in the internet and, and the, the you know the moment and attacking somebody and disrespecting an individual. Luckily for you, I'm the type of individual who understands where you're coming from. I understand that you come from a place of ignorance and not understanding. So I'm not trying to meet you with the same energy, but imagine if I was. 
Imagine, you know, and this is how misunderstandings and everything starts. So I just say people just need to take the time out, do some research, do some your due diligence and research, and, and just don't attack people when you don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And that brings us to today's show, man. We have some really special guests who've endured so much, you know, and, and I did, like I said, I didn't even understand what was going on in what they call the medical mortality situation and, and I didn't know about it. I've heard situations, I've heard a few things. I've known people who lost their life, but just to hear this in this, you know, the facet in which they described it and mm-hmm. just talked about it. I read up on them and I've heard their story and they're really compelling. And both of them are two people that um definitely are gonna give us some insight and, and be touching as well. Yeah, and, and what we're talking about specifically today is focusing on racism within the healthcare industry. Um, and again, we know racism exists everywhere, everywhere. Anywhere you go, anything you're involved in, you can find the signs of where racism uh, rears its ugly head, even in spaces where people are attempting, white folks too, are attempting their, their, with, their with all their heart and mind and their might, they're attempting to uh, provide equitable space there's still going to be issues just because of how our systems operate. And so today, uh, the individuals that we're hearing from, uh, these are two people who experienced the unthinkable, uh, real painful, uh, Trudy Russell, uh, our first guest, uh, she lost her baby. And uh, I don't wanna preempt her by telling too much of her story, but she's teaching us about these new terms the HELP syndrome, as I mentioned, and also, uh, what? how do we say it again? Look, it just, I just Pre-eclampsia. 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 I just said it and lost it already. Uh, but she's teaching us about these new terms and her baby died as a result of it. And, 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 and it just didn't just happen. There was serious neglect that got her to this point. And so we're gonna hear from Trudy Russell and then uh, Bruce McIntyre, so what you all are going to hear is his story, which we read up on, um, and that's why we had him here today. Um, you know, his wife was also diagnosed with this syndrome, and so uh, he's dealing with a lot, and we want to support him. He's, he, he started an organization uh, named after his wife, uh, and I am just to know that he's out there in the world raising this baby without a woman that could have been helped is... It's, 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 it's heart-wrenching, but it's also scary. It's scary. And so we're going to learn a lot today. And we're going to be educating on these issues for the next, next few weeks. So let's get to our guest. Uh, first up, Trudy Russell. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of Black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. That's how we own it. So we're, as we mentioned, we've been joined by an advocate for women, Miss um, Trudy Russell, whose story is truly, truly um, heart wrenching. Uh, what she has gone through, we want to hear more about today. But as with so many of the guests that come on to uh, this platform and that are guests on Street Politicians, she's taken her pain and turned it into a passion um, of helping women, supporting the community, um, and specifically dealing with women who are uh, challenged with the HELP syndrome. That's a new term. We've been learning a lot about it today. And preeclampsia. Uh, that is also a new term that I'm learning more about today. And so here to tell us about these issues is Trudy Russell. Hi, Trudy. Thank Hi. you so much for being with us. Hey, Trudy. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. So in 2013, I was pregnant. Uh, or I became pregnant for the first time, and I was very excited about it. Uh, when you are pregnant for the first time, you don't know what to expect. There's so many things going on. What happened with me was in my sixth month of pregnancy, I started getting these very unusual symptoms. Um, bloating is normal in pregnancy, but I had uh, bloating and a swelling particularly from my knees to my feet that were just almost like I couldn't walk. I looked like you could, if you put a pin in me, I would deflate. There was something clearly wrong. Um, and a girlfriend of mine told me, Trudy, I think you need to go to the doctor. Aside from that, aside from that symptom, I'm sorry, there was also um, vomiting, vomiting in my sixth uh, uh, month of, of pregnancy. That was unusual. I had an excruciating headache that would not leave. All of these were symptoms of what's called preeclampsia and HELP syndrome. I go to my doctor under the suggestion um, under the suggestion of my girlfriend. My doctor is out. I see a midwife. I'm from Los Angeles, so I was on my way to travel to LA uh, for the Thanksgiving weekend. And I tell her all that's going on with me, that I have this nausea, I had a headache that was excruciating that just would not leave, and I have this swellingness all through my body. She looks at me, and she tells me that this is normal. 
she doesn't say much about the headache uh, or the nausea that I was experiencing. And she cleared me to go to Los Angeles. I went to Los Angeles. I was there for Thanksgiving. And the following day, tragedy struck. My uh, blood pressure spiked up to about 2.30. I was about to have a stroke. Um, when the paramedics came, they couldn't believe how high my blood pressure was. They thought that their, that their machines were wrong. That's how mm -hmm. high the blood pressure was. And I could have had a stroke at any moment. Mm -hmm. they, rushed, they rushed me to the hospital and I still did not understand what was going on. I thought, okay, my baby's coming early. I don't feel well, but my baby's coming early. I get to the hospital. I only find out that, oh my God, this is something serious. When I see the staff running and circling around me. Wow. So I being ran through the hospital on a gurney, right? I knew it was even more serious when they all circled around me and prayed. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the nurses and the doctors. The nurses and the doctors were around me on the gurney praying. I had no clue of what was happening, okay? I remember going into the uh, operating room and the anesthesiologist saying, say Hawaii. I said, Hawaii, and I was out. When I came to, I was in a dark ICU room where my mother was there, my, my family had come, and a nurse and doctor had come to explain to me what had happened. I had no idea what happened to me. They told me you had help syndrome. They told me that your baby did not make it. Her name is Journey. And that I was also on the brink of death. So now to tell me, to, well, first of all, let's just stop for a second in that. Um, you know, God rest the soul of Journey. Thank you. Uh, obviously, Journey is living through you. Um, I'm so sorry about what you've been through. And as I'm listening to you speak, I'm, I'm first of all thinking about um, the many reasons why I've never had children. But one of them is because of how bad the treatment was. Yeah. I was very young pregnant. You know, I was 18 years old. So it's even worse at that age when they just shuttle you and sh shuffle you yes. place to place. No one cares about your issues, your concerns. Um, you know, I, it just was a traumatic experience that we won't get, go into too much um, right now. But uh, I, I know what you're talking about. And it's so- Wait, You mean you never had any more children? Because you, you do have a son. Sorry. The reason why I never had any- Right, a second child. No, okay. Why I didn't have any more. Exactly. Excuse me. Why I didn't have any more children is because of how I had been treated. And so this, the, the, the idea of the, the help syndrome is so, like, it's so real to me. Yes. It's so the, so the help syndrome is an even more exaggerated form of preeclampsia. What preeclampsia is, and many women experience it, Beyonce experienced it in her pregnancy with the twins. Um, Mariah Carey has experienced it. I think JLo as well. What happens is later on in your pregnancy, there's a condition that comes on, right? There is no sign of it. It just comes on in the pregnancy where your blood pressure spikes up, right? Mm -hmm. When that happens, they have to test you for different things. They have to see if protein is in your urine. They have to follow you. 
because what can happen is you can end up dying on the birthing table, right? So what was, once I processed everything that had happened to me and it took a while, right? I had to go to therapy. It was extremely traumatic. One of the questions that I was left with and I'm still left with is why was I cleared to get on a plane and go across the country, Mm. right? I told a medical provider about my experience and my symptoms. And immediately she should have known what to do. But she cleared me, right? I have since had another child. Her name is Mahogany. The care that I got through Columbia doctors because of my medical history, I was a uh, uh, high risk. These people monitored me from the time I let them know that I was pregnant up until delivery. Mm -hmm. But the care that I got was so, it was vastly different than what I had previously experienced. Mm -hmm. In in my second pregnancy, I had a lot of trauma, particularly in the sixth month, because I didn't know if it was going to come on again. Um, I had to do things like keep stress levels down. Um, I was on bed rest for a particular time. Um, if there was any symptoms of a headache of anything, I had to let them know immediately. I mean, they were on me like white on rice. So I have, there was a, there's a juxtaposition between the care that I got in 2013 and the care that I got in 2018, extremely different. The midwife that I had is very is very, very involved in uh, Black issues with Black women. She's not Black herself, but what made me trust her with me was her awareness, her understanding what I went through. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, I've I've heard of this. You know, um, I have two younger children. I have three actually children, but and I've actually heard women who've been on bed rest for months, like they couldn't do anything, literally for two to three of the last months of their pregnancy, they weren't allowed to even get out of bed. Right. You know, they said they were that high risk. How common is this? Okay, so here's the thing. What I've been told is it's very common in women of color, particularly the black community. Mm-hmm. Right? So why I have become such an advocate of my community for birthing women is because a lot of us do not know about this, mm-hmm. right? From my understanding, you're gonna have a guest coming up after me. Now, the story that you're gonna hear from him, his girlfriend died from what I had. So we went through the exact same thing, mm-hmm. but I am living and she is not. Mm-hmm. So it is very, very serious. So and what is- Mm-hmm. So what exactly do do, do what you do? You know, I, I see why you I see where the motivation comes from, you know, and I, once again, I just want to send my condolences for the loss of your daughter. But mm-hmm. like, like Tamika says, and we always say we usually find our purpose through our pain and our tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, so your, your daughter inspired and motivated you to help hundreds of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people along the way. So what exactly is the service that you provide? 
So the service that I provide, I have teamed up with organizations like the Preeclampsia Foundation. Mm -hmm. Year after this happened, I've teamed up with them. Um, I have also teamed up with the March for Moms organization. This is a new organization that was brought to my attention more recently where they wanted uh, me to lend my voice and my story to their platform and calling on uh, policymakers to change um, the, the, what is the word I'm looking for? They want, they basically want to change the treatment mm-hmm. for women of color within the healthcare system. Right. So, they, so they're called, so they were calling on Congress to see what they could do and see if there are any policies that can be made so that families can keep their dignity in the midst of such tragedy, right? Um, so that women can 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 walk away feeling like, you know, they did get the best health care that they could, that they weren't just ignored, you know, all these, um, the narrative is that Black women can, can take more, we pain. have a higher tolerance for pain, exactly. right? Exactly. Uh, okay, so, okay, so this is what's happened, but you'll be okay, right? And so at that time in 2013, I wasn't aware of all of this. But now that I have the knowledge, I understand that that's what I experienced. That's what happened to me. I told them this is what's happening and I was brushed off and I could have died. What are we doing about younger women? Again, I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do the organizations that you work with, the Preeclampsia Foundation and others, are they focused on young girls and particularly young girls of color and making sure that they get the information? Because you mentioned that Columbia did a different, you know, did it, did it differently for you, yes. right? They did yes. a better job of caring for you. But I have to make sure that you always acknowledge that you were more educated. So while they may have been better, you also were coming to them with mahogany in your stomach, knowing what you had gone through yes. and being able to ask the right questions. But so many of our young girls, we, we get pregnant and we don't even know about prenatal vitamins. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that, so with these organizations, I don't know that there's so much geared toward younger women. I think that the idea is just pregnant women, birthing women, um, midwives, or even even people who are helping birthing women, right? Getting the education that that they need to support people in my position, right? Um, I also think that education is key. Awareness is key. I went into my pregnancy with journey, not knowing anything, just like you said, Tamika, we don't even know about, you know, prenatal vitamins, right? Let alone you can die from giving birth, just being pregnant. No one talks about that. It's very taboo, right? So I think that, you know, me lending my story and my voice and my passion toward this um, whether it's young women, middle-aged or older, it's something that is necessary and it's real, especially in our community. How can so we- can I ask you one, one more thing? Absolutely. Um, you, you, you just, you broke that down so eloquently. Can you give us like some warning signs? Because some people might not, and, and after you give us like some warning signs, can you just give, do you have like a website where can, you know, certain places that young girls or women in general who are experiencing this and just want to know some more information about can they go to? Absolutely. 
So like I said, in my experience, some of the warning signs with preeclampsia that can even lead to HELP syndrome is if you have a headache, say something. That is the first thing, Mm -hmm. okay? You have a headache later in your pregnancy, you speak up, you go to your health provider and you say, this is happening and I need you to do something about it. Monitor me, okay? Um, If you have swelling that seems not normal, right? To the point where if you feel uncomfortable, if you're feeling tight, right? You go to your medical provider, you tell them what's happening. Um, If you are vomiting in your six month of pregnancy, that is not normal. Go to them and tell them this is what's happening. In terms of research, um, if you wanna do more research on this, go to the Preeclampsia Foundation. They have all the symptoms and everything um, that you can find with regard to this. And if you're on the opposite side of it, if you are an expecting mother or someone who has been in my position but did not survive this, or a loved one did not survive it, go to the marchformoms.org uh, uh, foundation. It is, they are the advocates who are going to fight for you mm-hmm. and go to Congress to make sure that something can be done, that this is not swept under, under the rug and that we don't matter. We do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How can people help you? Give us some information for how they can donate, support you. So I would say you can donate to um, the March for Moms, marchformoms.org. You can even donate to the Preeclampsia Foundation. Um, my, so- my social media is at journeys.mother, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-S dot mother. Mm. Uh, that's, that is my uh, Instagram. Uh, I have also written an article with surrounding this uh, for Women's Health magazine. So uh, you can find that in my bio on my Instagram. And please just just make yourself aware. Great. Thank well, you. We so want much. To say thank you very much. Thank you. Know, thank you for having me. Your energy is amazing. Your story is amazing. Just seeing how you're able to persevere and utilize tragedy and just find a purpose and continue to help other people and, you know, and inform people. It's just a blessing. So we want to say thank you for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I just want to say one last thing. When I lost Journey, I, I, I wanted to leave this earth, right? It was so traumatic. So yeah. much happened to me, right? I never thought, and this is for somebody out there, I never thought that what I went through would be my platform to help someone else. So if you are going through something and you feel like you cannot make it to that next level, you will. You know why? Because I'm here and I'm here telling it. Trudy Russell, folks, uh, make sure that you all follow her. Journeys.mother on Instagram and keep up with her work and let's support Trudy. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, Tamika. Thank you, Trudy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, 
Participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating While Broke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests. But with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So just listening to Trudy's story, you know, and seeing that she still has this energy, man, losing a daughter. I, I, I couldn't even imagine what she was feeling, but seeing how that pain, you know, pushed her to a passion to try to save and help others and inform others is something that's definitely commendable. Yeah, I want to drill down with her and others on how we really help young girls. I know what she said, you know, when I asked her, what do we what do we do to help get this information to young girls, particularly young black and brown girls who are having children? She said that the organizations that she works with, they deal with women in general. And and I totally understand that. But I think that folks don't don't know how important it is to drill down on particular in communities and young girls need a specific way that they are reached which means that some of our celebrities who we don't hear Beyonce talking about this all the time, you know, I'm sure, you know, as Trudy mentioned that Beyonce experienced a similar situation. Well, other artists, even people who have children, people who don't, they need to be out there talking about it. Influencers need to be talking about the fact that young girls need to turn to these organizations and get help and also be educated. And the other thing is, I think that the black doula movement the black doulas, these are these are women, midwives and women who are helping uh, people to have children. They can um, a doula um, can be with you in the hospital and or they can set up a home birth. Right. Um, and that we need to invest in that because you need an advocate when you go to the hospital for any reason, not just for having a child. If you go because your toe is stubbed, if you don't have the right information. If you don't have the right help, you could end up losing your foot. So you need an advocate. You need people that can help and speak for you. So I guess that brings us to our next guest. So you heard Trudy uh, mention this next young man. We talked about him earlier um, and his story. Another heart-wrenching story that unfortunately is something we have to learn more about. 
Um, we are getting into a lot of things within the healthcare system. Uh, we've been talking about medical kidnapping. Uh, we're, we've been talking about trafficking and how much of that is happening straight from the hospital. And now today we're covering this issue of maternal death um, and maternal issues, maternal health and the racism that exists within the healthcare system. And right now we're gonna hear from Bruce McIntyre. He's gonna tell us more about his story and what happened to um, the mother of his child. Uh, unfortunately, she is not with us anymore. And the story, the journey that Bruce has been through has truly been one that we should uh, be paying attention to and learning from. He's also the founder of Save a Rose Foundation and certainly we wanna support him. So welcome Bruce, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank y'all for having me. So Bruce, how you doing today, man? Hanging in there, my brother, hanging in there, but I'm, I'm always working, I'm always moving and trying to do what's best for the community and my people, so. Amen, a, a fellow Bronx native, actually from my hood, Ogden, the hybrid section of the Bronx. Um, I know your father, I know a lot of your family members we've talked, we've met before, and um, just to see this work that you're doing, you know, it's phenomenal. And, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, we just had a, a, another guest on, Miss um, Trudy, who, work was inspired by, you know, pain and trauma. You know, unfortunately we have to go through something like that's pretty much the story of my life. My my incarceration, you know, and falsely imprisonment led me to be an advocate against such. So, you know, give give us a, a synopsis of your story and, and tell us what led you to the Save a Rose Foundation. So what led me to found, uh, finding Save a Rose was I lost my my wife, my my life partner, my soulmate, Amber Rose Isaac, on uh, April 21st, 2020, due to medical negligence while she was uh, giving birth. Mm. And uh, she actually passed away while giving birth to my son. Um, so she never even got to meet my son, hold my son. But, uh, you know, we, it, it, this wasn't something that was that happened out of the blue. It was a pregnancy that we planned for. Back in August 2019, we found out we were expecting in September 2019. Um, very excited for both of us. We were both doing great things. I had just uh, secured a, uh, a position in Wall Street. I was a financial loan advisor before the pandemic hit. And she was uh, she actually had earned her her uh, bachelor's in psychology. She wanted to teach art therapy to the youth as a way of self-expression. Um, and then she became on to becoming a, an early life educator. She was a school teacher. She was the head school teacher, um, took care of the youth and, and was really concerned for the youth and their future. Um, she, while she was pregnant, she was also earning her master's degree in business development. She didn't like the way that the schools were operating in Harlem. And, uh, she wanted to make those changes and she wanted to, um, she wanted to have programs for these children with, you know, extracurricular activities and, um, you know, things and such. So these these children can, you know, be prepared for their futures. So she really wrapped her whole career around the children. She believed that by saving the children is how we save our future. And um, she was a she was a firm believer in that. And uh, she was actually expected to graduate May 2020 but she passed away April, 2020. And, uh, you know, during this whole time, 
while she's pregnant, I'm able to be by her side. My, my job is lenient enough for me to go to these, um, you know, her appointments and to drive her to her appointments and all that stuff. Um, so I was there with her every step of the way, as I should be as a father. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable with our first visit with the OBGYN because, you know, the OBGYN was more concerned with us having a child and our marital status because we weren't married. We were having a child and we weren't, we weren't married and we were feeling judged immediately. Well, um, so what, they, they asked, they, what, what, was the, what was the conversation like about that? How did that even come into? She was actually Amber's OBGYN since, uh, since 2014, probably a little earlier before then. So she's known Amber for a long time. Okay, okay. Um, and she knew that Amber didn't have any children. And she asked me if I had children. So I did have children from a previous engagement down south. And, you know, I, I told her that I have children. Uh, and she kind of just gave me the gave me this screw face. Mm-hmm. And um, that made me feel really uncomfortable. And that made me feel like I was being judged as a black man. And uh, basically, the, the G- OBGYN was unprofessional. She had got her personal feelings involved in the profession that she should have been doing her job as an OBGYN. She wanted to have her personal feelings on where, how you having a kid and she doesn't and all these things got involved. Exactly. Okay. exactly. And we felt like then um, she wasn't being as attentive to Amber and was kind of just passing Amber um, along to, to other OBs and, um, you know, just not really caring for Amber. And, you know, skip fast forward, we're, we're coming into her second trimester. And, um, you know, she's feeling, she's feeling ill. She, you know, her, her body and her conditioning is weakening. And, you know, we're bringing these concerns up to her OBGYN. And her OBGYN just kept brushing her off even more. Um, wasn't really answering her questions, was kind of just giving her the runaround, having her do extra things that she didn't necessarily have to do. Um, just because I guess they didn't want to fill out paperwork or they were just being lazy. I don't know what the case was. Um, she, uh, I know, I know, so it's, it's, it's tough to have to relive these things, and, um, but it's, it's very much necessary because it's, it's, it's something that does need to be told. Um, you know, we're, we're, transitioning from the second trimester to the third uh COVID is right around the corner and uh I do want to add this in there and make sure that it's highlighted Amber's platelet levels actually started deteriorating December 2019 COVID wasn't announced until late February and then it wasn't implemented in the city until March 2020 so they're trying to use COVID as this excuse to why Amber was being neglected when she was neglected well before COVID was even announced. So they, they, they had an excuse for her being neglected. They said because of COVID, she didn't receive. Wow. Yes. The, the stock market had crashed three times in a span of, of three weeks. That's the first time that this has ever happened since the Great Depression. And, uh, you know, my job is preparing me and telling me to get everything ready and, um, you know, because we don't know how this whole thing's about to play out. So I'm letting Amber know, you know, we need to get our FMLA papers ready. We need to get everything ready for this pregnancy. You need to get everything ready from, from your job. Um, 
And so she's trying to get, you know, FMLA, job security, disability, things like that, while she's going to be out of work during the pregnancy. And, uh, you know, she, she brings these concerns to her OBGYN because they're, they're getting ready to, to, uh, to put us in, um, what was it? Uh, telehealth. They were getting ready to set up telehealth. This is the first time they've done telehealth where they're going to do everything from home and all this stuff while her platelets are deteriorating. But we, we don't even know this at, the, at this time because our OBGYN is not making us aware of her conditions. And, um, you know, we, we end up going in February, late February, to get some blood work done, to see what's going on with Amber's body, why she's not feeling well. Um, and we don't hear anything from the doctors. We don't hear anything from the hospital. Uh, you know, they put us on telehealth and, and all throughout March, um, as her platelet levels are deteriorating, and she, her body and, and, you know, her body's weakening. They're telling her, oh, here, take these iron pills and go buy your own blood pressure monitor and keep up with your blood pressure. Let us know how you feel next week. She's letting but not, them but not to go to the hospital. But not to go to the hospital. Mm. You know, she's letting them know they're, they're not, they're not, you know, they're not doing anything about it. They're just telling her, oh, take, take your pills and follow back up with us next week. And it was the same thing continuously. It was just, it was such a perpetuated cycle. And uh, we're, we're trying to get everything secure for her FMLA. We go to the OBGYN. Um, Amber's, you know, expressing her concerns because she does work with students and she's working around children. There are uh, parents who are bringing their, their children to school without, um, in the pandemic, there, there's people who are bringing their children to school with, no doctor's notes, which is not allowed. Uh, you know, the school is accepting this. There are children coughing, sneezing, rubbing saliva all over Amber. Um, she's, you know, in her second trimester transitioning to her third. When she goes to grab children, um, they're kicking her in the stomach or, um, you know, her, her, uh, her health was deteriorating. So it was very hard for her to breathe as well. But wow. she's constantly having to carry and pick up kids up and down stairs um with you know with no help and she's expressing these to her her OBGYN because we're we're due May 30th 2020 that's our due date and instead of leaving in May her her due month she's trying to leave for April instead because of how she's feeling mm. and you know the OBGYN is telling her you know well there are other pregnant women who are working in this office right now why shouldn't you be able to work? Why should you have to get off early? Her health is deteriorating still at this time, rapidly, and we're still unaware of this. And so Rose, Rose goes into labor and she passes away. Mm -hmm. And what does the OBGYN say at this point? Does she ever even look you in the she, face and say, damn, I shouldn't listen? She's ducking and dodging right now. She's, she's ducking and dodging right now, and I'm still dealing with the system. But the, the thing is also is, you know, she has people, we have family members that are working in this medical system as well. And there are white women who are, whom are due after Amber who are healthy, getting early FMA, uh, early FMLA, getting early disability. But yeah, Amber's health is actually deteriorating and she doesn't get granted such options. Mm. 
So that's OBGYN, a white woman. Uh, she was actually an Indian woman, actually an Indian woman. But there, there were some, some, some white people within the, uh, within the system that have done us wrong as well. Um, you know, her mother actually worked at Montefiore as well. She worked at a different Montefiore facility. We actually received the same treatment from two different Montefiore facilities, which makes me believe that this is systemic. Mm. Uh, because we, we ended up leaving the first Montefiore that we were at due to the negligence. And uh, we ended up going to uh, Montefiore Einstein, where her mother has worked for 25 years out of Amber's 26 years of life. And you still weren't able to get the right treatment. Not at all. You, so did she, now Trudy Russell told us that pre-eclampsia pre um, was her health issue. Is yeah. that the same thing that Rose had or did she have something different? Uh, so Amber had help syndrome, which gets mistaken for preeclampsia. And I'm sorry, Amber Rose. Mm -hmm. Amber Rose, yes. Okay, so let me uh, just go back. Amber Rose, but I think I think Trudy had health syndrome also too. She said yeah. she was first diagnosed, and then they said she had health syndrome. Yeah, mm -hmm. but they didn't know what what Amber had until until the day that they induced her labor. So mm -hmm. they had all this time to figure it out, but they decided that they were going to wait, and they didn't they didn't find what she had until the day that she that they induced her labor. Um, we actually went. Um, in April, in April, um, we decided that we were going to, uh, we were facing so much negligence from the hospitals, we decided that we're going to hire midwives and doulas. And uh, we sent our information over to a midwife after finally getting our MyChart updated, which took months to, to, to complete. Um, we sent that stuff over to our midwife and our midwife was the one that detected it. And she, you know, she told us that she couldn't take Amber on as a client because Amber was too high risk at that point. So she couldn't be seen by a, a, you know, a midwife or she couldn't go to a birthing center. We had to go to a hospital. We had no other choice. Mm -hmm. um, and she was telling us, too, like she doesn't understand why Amber is not being seen weekly. Right. Right. You know, and she was the one that caught it and really explained what was going on to us because the OBGYN wasn't educating us on anything that was going on. She was barely even telling us anything that was going on with Amber's body. Um, you know, and uh, uh, you know, two weeks later, Amber makes a tweet wanting to write a tell-all about the incompetence and the negligence that she had been facing during her pregnancy, her entire pregnancy. And then uh, a few days after that, she passed away. So can I, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Can you kind of, you know, I know it's kind of traumatizing, but I just want you to like the day of her pregnancy, like what what actually happened? What was you know, how did, when they got to the doctor, they, they diagnosed, like, what happened when she did actually had the baby? So when, when actually, when, when, when we went to the hospital, because she had to get blood work done three times um, within the span of a month, and they still weren't really paying attention to her. They were, you know, mixing up her, her blood work, not finding her blood work, not finding her paperwork, um, just misplacing things and, and having us do all these runarounds. So uh, they called us on, um, on April uh, 18th. They called us the day after she, she got some more blood work done, the day after that she, did, she wrote her last tweet that went viral. Um, the day after they called us at like 8.30 in the morning and said that, hey, Amber needs to come in for treatment immediately, for treatment. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, uh, you know, packing up, getting ready to head out. Uh, Amber's mother was staying with us at the time because she was going to stay with us, um, you know, to help care for Amber while she was pregnant, while I was taking care of, you know, the household. Um, so, I, you know, we all rolled out to the hospital together. And, you know, as soon as we get there, I'm speaking to the receptionist about what's been going on. And, and um, you know, because because of COVID regulations, they're not trying to allow me as her partner come up with her. They're not trying to allow her mother to come up with her, even though her mother has worked here for 25 years, has the proper PPE and has access to the hospital. They're still not allowing her to come up. They're not allowing us to call our midwife to, to come or anything. They, they needed to be alone with Amber by themselves, which is something that she was scared of because she was aware of the statistics of, of, of black women in these hospitals. Um, so I'm speaking to the receptionist about everything that's going on and how they need to, to make some sort of exception, considering the fact that this is no mistake of our own. This is a mistake clearly that they've made this whole time. Um, so security walks up to me and tells me, OK, Mr. Baby Daddy, you need to calm down. Uh, go sit in the lobby. Matter of fact, we don't want you in the lobby. You need to wait outside. So they made me wait outside. Um, and, you know, Amber is giving me updates, texting me, calling me. And, uh, you know, she's very nervous and very scared because, you know, she may have to stay overnight. And Amber's, Amber is one of the most healthiest people I've ever known in my entire life. Um, pescatarian and, and held a strict vegan diet um, while she was pregnant. So it was just really confusing. And she's never had to stay in a hospital overnight. So she was scared. And, um, you know, she's trying to make sure that I'm, I'm going to be there for her and with her. And... Uh, they end up telling her that she has to stay for the whole weekend because they don't know what she has. You know, this whole time they're testing her for COVID. They tested her for COVID twice, came back negative, and they wanted to test her a third time. Um, and, you know, the high-risk doctor that never even showed up for Amber was, you know, um, they passed Amber down to a much younger doctor. I don't even know if that doctor was a, was a resident, was an undergrad, because they were allowing residents and undergrads to operate um, during those times. And, um, you know, that was very nerve wracking for us. Um, and they told her, even though you don't have COVID, we're still going to treat you as, as if you were a COVID patient. And hearing yeah, that. You're, you're hearing all of this on the phone. Yes. From her. Because at this point, because my, I, my mom, um, she had a stroke during the same time on March 10th of 2020. And we also were in Montefiore. And at some point, we unfortunately had to leave the building and it was the same thing. And, and by the way, my mother at that time wasn't in her right mind. Right. She she was had been uh, in a coma for a while and now she's out of the coma. So she's unable to use the phone. She's had she's part, partially paralyzed and we're trying to communicate and understand what's going on. So you're learning all of this on the phone. Yes. Yes. And then, um, you know, they're, they're telling her she's going to they're going to treat her as if she's a COVID patient. And when I first heard that, I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying not to think negative. So I'm thinking, OK, maybe they're going to wear extra PPE, which is something that they should be wearing for a pregnant woman um, who doesn't have COVID. And um, you but know, what did after, it mean? What did it ultimately mean? After she passed, I'm starting to believe otherwise, um, because, you know, on, on the 20th, on April 20th, she called me in the morning and said that she had hope syndrome sent me a Google review of what it was. I had to study what HOPE syndrome was before I got to the hospital. They were finally going to allow me to come to the hospital 
to be with her during delivery. Um, after I passed my COVID test, I passed my COVID test, went straight over there. Um, you know, they wouldn't even let me buy her though. They, I had to sit in a chair in a corner. Um, I couldn't hold her hand. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't speak, you know, positive, positive affirmations to her. Um, you know, I'm really just trying to prepare her and, uh, you know, the nurses are telling us, um, oh yeah, you can't be close to her because we don't know who has COVID. We don't even know if we have COVID. We've never been tested. So the, the, the nurses at Montefiore weren't being tested, which is very unsettling to us, considering the fact that we took all of the proper precautions to stay, to stay safe and right. to keep our baby safe. Um, you know, we did all the right things. And, um, and so now this is the, the, the day that they're inducing her. Yeah. And she passes and you're there um, and this happens. And then you now have your baby. Yes. They gave you your baby. <laughs> no, they didn't give me my baby, um, which is something that, that fathers have to go through. So after she passed away, uh, there were, you know, black nurses who were telling me, um, you know, for me to get on my, uh, on my son's birth certificate and things, I had to go through this process. Um, because Amber was no longer alive to attest that I was the father, even though that was the only reason why they allowed me to be inside of the hospital is because wow. I was the father. So because she was no longer alive to attest that I was the father, I had to go through this whole process. So I have a team of black nurses telling me to fill out this paperwork and give it to the head nurse, which is a white woman. Ah. Um, yes. So I, I fill out the paperwork. I bring it to the head nurse. The head nurse tells me, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't have to do this here. Um, just whenever you get home, send it to this address. Um, you know, so I did that and they couldn't release the baby to me. They actually had to release the baby to Amber's mother. They couldn't they couldn't release my child to me. Uh, this is crazy. Gratefully, though, Amber's mother was already staying with me. So he was coming home anyways. Um, but even till this day, this is something that I'm still fighting because I'm still not on my son's birth certificate a year. Over a year later, he turned, he turned one in April on April 20th. He turned one on April 20th. And so they, they tell me to fill out this paperwork, send it to this address. I get a decline letter four months later, um, uh, saying that they need more, more, uh, information. So I go to surrogate surrogates court. And the representative being a black woman, she says to me, because she she's very familiar with my story and my advocacy work at this time. And she's telling me, hey, Bruce, how does Elias have your last name, McIntyre? Well, that's because that's something that Amber and I agreed on. And that's what Amber put down on the paperwork. Um, you know, Elias McIntyre. She tells me, well, Bruce, your son has your last name. I don't understand why they're, why they're making you go through all of this. That's so they're making me go through this process for no reason. Mm. So, so, so now you have, you have just lost your soulmate. You have a new child that you have to take care of. You have to deal with the trauma of that. And now you have to deal with all of the red tape and all these things just to be acknowledged as the father of your child. Exactly. How, mu how much, how traumaful is that? How much pain, or, like what, what is going through your mind at this it's point? A lot of, it's a lot of trauma because I, I thought, you know, at least after Amber passing, there would be some sort of safety net for me, some sort of help. 
There's not. There's nothing for us that's going to help us. They, they've been trying to really um, cover up what happened to Amber. They've really been trying to, uh, you know, hurt me as well. Because, because since I'm not on my son's birth certificate, I don't get, you know, Social Security for my son. I don't get that, um, that extra relief that they're sending parents. I don't get those, you know, and, and not to mention I lost my job during the pandemic. So I, I'm having to take care of a household. I'm having to um, help with, with Amber's mother. I'm having to help, uh, you know, help with my son and take care of all these things. Um, but which is another reason why I'm just going so hard at this system because they they won't make any changes until you taking money out their pocket, which is exactly what I've been doing. Um, you know, they after Amber's passing, I'm looking at her her death certificate and I'm noticing some red flags. Uh, I'm noticing under partner or father of child, they left my name blank, even though they knew who I was and I was there. They left Amber, the, the, the section for the mother, Amber's mother, they knew who Amber's mother was. She's been working there for 25 years. I left her name blank as if she was just another black woman with no family. And, uh, and I'm starting to notice that they're also, even though she does not have COVID, they are still trying to send her body to Heart Island where they're dumping COVID bodies and homes and mass graves. So they're, they're getting ready to try to put her in the back of an ice truck to send her to that island. And uh, I'm also noticing that the death certificate was never signed off by a medical examiner, but it was signed off. Uh, an autopsy was performed by the head surgeon that was supposed to care for Amber, but never showed up. So he could kind of just write whatever he felt like writing. And that's very, that's very problematic. Um, luckily, somebody seen my advocacy work at a funeral home and uh, he decided that he wanted to help us and he picked up Amber and, and held Amber for us until we got her a proper uh, grave site ready, which is something that I was grateful for because I could lean on my community to help me with that. Um, but there, there was just so many, so many red flags. And then after Amber's passing, Cuomo jumps on TV and he's in a, he's in a council meeting and he's saying, you know, he's talking about our situation and um, how heartbreaking our situation is. And, and because of our situation, now they're starting to allow midwives to be in the hospitals again. Um, and, you know, Cuomo's on TV stating that his maternal task force is going to take care of it. They've done nothing for us. And in fact, after getting into this advocacy work and, and partnering with, with birth workers, um, you know, Cuomo's, Cuomo's maternal task force was, was very problematic as well and haven't done anything for the past 11 years. Um, but Cuomo, right, turns around and creates an executive order trying to block families like mine from taking legal action um, and trying to protect the doctors over at Montefiore, granting them medical malpractice immunity um, <laughs> to where we, we can't take legal action up against them. This is just a whole clusterfuck here. Like, it's just like this is a real deep rabbit hole. You know, we, we can have a whole episode on this alone. You know, unfortunately, we have to go and move on. I know you have a lot to do. I know you're dealing a, a single father just dealing with that man i just want to say as a father you know as a black father i just want to say that I, we appreciate the work that you're doing you just 
the information that you just given me is so vital. You know, um, I've I've had three different children, and, and and you know, fortunately, I've been able to um, be there for all three of them. And there have been a lot of just different discrepancies that I also had to deal with as a black father. You know, nothing, nothing as severe as what you you dealt with, but you know, just seeing how you've taken this, you know, have inspired you to start the Save the Roads Foundation, how it's inspired to you to just educate yourself and others on what's going on with, you know, our black families and the mortality and the rate that goes on in the maternal, you know, area with our families, you know, is something that's commendable, man. I just want to say, yo, thank you. We appreciate what you're doing. You know, how, how is it, can we help your foundation? Could you give us some information on how to help the foundation? Um, yeah. While always supporting, you can follow me at Bismack the Third on IG, um, B I Z M A C the Third, and uh, or you can follow us at Save a Rose Foundation on on Instagram or Facebook. We we post a lot of updates on there. Um, we also have a GoFundMe up as well because I'm still waiting on some stuff to clear through the IRS because that's something else that's been prolonged as well. Um, so we're just waiting on our website and stuff like that to pop up. But, I, you know, during the meantime, I am educating. I just got back from Boston last month. I was teaching a racial bias class to Harvard medical students. Um, I, you know, taught classes at Yale and, and Columbia, New York School of Med. Um, I've done, you know, trainings for midwives and doulas and things of that nature. So I've been I've been really working. I'm uh, working on a on a mental health app as well with my brother, Mark Bishop, he's done, uh, he, he was a programmer for things like uh, blackpeoplemeet.com, match.com, things like that. So we're working on a, on a mental health app that's getting ready to drop called Joyfully. Uh, that should be out next month. So we're really trying to help, uh, you know, dedicate our time towards the people, you know, doing this work, especially in the Bronx. I've noticed that, you know, over 60% of these women don't need C-sections and over 60% of these women are, are dying. And, you know, it's, it's preventable. Um, and a lot of these privately owned hospitals are being so substantially underfunded in our communities. So this is a way for them to make up for their budget cuts is through C-sections because they're, uh, you know, this, this turns into a surgical issue. So every time that they cut a black woman open, they're, they're earning an extra $8,000 versus what, a, what they would have made for a natural birth. So they're clearly putting profit over people. And I'm just highlighting, highlighting all that stuff that they're doing. So I appreciate y'all letting me use y'all platform. And I appreciate the, the work that y'all do, especially, you know, seeing you come from the same background as me and come from the same places as me and, and really out here doing things for people. So that's it's amazing to, speak, to see and it inspires me truly. So thank you. Well, thank you, man. I'm truly inspired by the work that you're doing. Unfortunately, Tamika had to drop off to do press. We're doing um, a rally for the um, March on Washington rally that we're doing in D.C. So she had to drop off and handle a lot of that. But she says she she wants you to say she apologizes that she couldn't stand longer. Your, your story is so compelling. We actually were supposed to only do this interview for like 10 or 15 minutes. But I was like, we can't we can't stop you from saying, because this is very important, you know, just hearing your insight, hearing your experience and just understanding this is important. So we wasn't even able to finish the thing because we were supposed to finish early, but she just wants to say that she's with you. We support you and um, whatever we can do, we're here. Thank you, Bruce McIntyre for coming on our show. You know, um, what, what's your, what is your, you have a son? Yeah, my son Elias, Elias McIntyre. Elias. 
Elias McIntyre, man. Blessings to him. I know that you're going to turn him and, and give him all of the energy and jewels that he needs to be a strong man. So we appreciate you. Once again, thanks for coming on the show. Follow um, Saber Rose, support Saber Rose Foundation. He has GoFundMe, he has all of those things, man. Thank you. We definitely need to support people like you that are really doing work that's unseen, that people don't even realize because I had absolutely no idea all these things were happening, even being a father. So I appreciate and it. And everything, everything was going viral too. We were, we were really going viral around the world um and then uh you know george floyd passed away right after and and you know the focus leaned more towards george floyd versus what's yeah. going on in the hospitals for black women so um, well, hopefully we could get it viral again and people start paying attention man we appreciate you for sure appreciate you thank you Perfect. shout out to bruce man like i said he's a, a fellow bronx native actually from high bridge Ogden. i know his father, you know, we were familiar with a lot of people. I actually met Bruce before, and just hearing his story, you know, when um Yandy had posted it, it, it was heartfelt. It was heartfelt, and just knowing that he's from the same community, just hearing him, he seems like it's a lot that he's dealing with, a whole lot, you know, um, losing your your woman, then actually having to be a father, and then having to go through all of these issues a just a single. a single father, exactly, actually be a single father, then have to go to the issue just to have your name put on your son's birth certificate, man. Which you know, still man. hasn't been accomplished. Still hasn't been accomplished. So, you know, I just want to send shouts out to him, man. Make sure that you um support his foundation, Save a Rose Foundation, and all the work that he's doing, man. Yeah, it's just a lot. This is a very heavy show, very heavy show, you know, and kind of brings me to my, I don't get it. It's, it's a little off topic. You know, it's kind of a lot off topic. It brings me because last week when we was talking to um, Tony, she was explaining to us how she was here working as an expert for R. Kelly's trial. Tony and, Rivera. Yes. Uh, who who is she's well known for her work around sex trafficking. Yes, sex trafficking. So, so if it you kind haven't of watched that. If you haven't watched that episode, go back. Please and watch go it. watch. It's very very informative. Tony is so dope. Just. So how she utilized her pain, her passion, and, and her skill level to, you know, understanding the, the intricacies of what goes on in trafficking and utilize it to save, you yeah. know, and rescue, quote unquote, rescue some of these sex workers. Um, it, it brings me to my, I don't get it. Actually, they're not. This is different. Sex workers are different. But or sex. that's a different show. Well, those being sex trafficked. Okay. Right? That's okay. right. Listen, you know, I'm learning. I'm learning. It's different. Because sex work is working. Means that you, I support you, sex workers. You support sex Okay. I support sex work. We all support sex No, we don't all. I mean, well, this show, Street Politicians, we support sex workers. Here. That's right. Okay. So, um, but what we don't support is our county. And I don't understand for the life of me. What I don't get is why is R. Kelly going to trial? Like, who is the the judge, the, the lawyer that said, R. Kelly, we're gonna need you to go on the trial, man. Take this to trial. You got a chance of winning this case. Like, as a like some a smart person will sit there and say, man, what they trying to give you, man? You got 
all of this against you. You got videos, you got accusations, you got everything in the world. Like if 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 you talking about the deck being stacked, there's no more deck stacked against anybody. He done gave people be um venereal disease. It's it's so much shit against R. Kelly that I could not even fathom me saying to myself, I'm going to trial. Like, I really just don't get it. Like, what is what is the mind state behind somebody that decides to go to trial for this? That's what narcissists do. Someone said that to me the other day, that that's what nar- narcissism looks like. And also what he is facing in terms of time, he could receive life in prison in so many different places that he really doesn't have any other option, you know, but to kind of throw it at the wall and fight and see if they can knock down a few situations, a few scenarios where they might be able to get a little less time. So instead of him having triple life, he might just get, you know, 50 years or something like that. That's the goal at this point. But that's what I'm trying to say. The goal, the goal, if you go to trial, you leave it on the mercy of the, right? But so if, if you're trying to get 50 years, right? If you're trying to get 50 years, what you do is try to negotiate prior. I don't, don't give you less time. Let me tell you what I think. Well, well, there's, there's two things to that. First of all, I don't know who's trying to negotiate but so much with him. But the second thing is that every detail of everybody's story is not going to be true. And mm-hmm. it's also not going to be proven. They're not going to be able to prove even stuff that is true. So that's what gives them some ability to say, you were not able to prove that I did X, Y, Z and or at, at, you know, during the trial, it came out that this person is not credible or she lied because she wasn't even in the place at the time, whatever. You understand what I'm saying? So that's what they're banking on is to use that as leverage to be able to kind of get him in a better situation than what he's in right now. Because based upon where he's sitting today, it's nothing that I can see. But that's what I was trying to say. Like the negotiation process would be that. Like your lawyer would say, look, DA, we 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 will look and say these two cases, these ain't got the credibility of these witnesses. Look at these situations. All right, y'all might have these. These right here, it's gonna be hard for us to prove. And we're willing to make a deal. Let's make a deal. You know, my my client doesn't need life. He doesn't need this. We want to. We want to. He definitely realized that he's. If you listen to testimony, he's dealing with his own abuse. You know, he's he's had been abused. So the mentality that he has comes from someone. He's obviously sick. Let's work on getting him programs. Let's put him in a hospital. Let's work on all of those things. Let's try to limit the amount of jail time. Like that, those are things that you negotiate on. You're dealing with narcissism, which in his mind. No, you're dealing with stupidism. Well, whatever you want to call it, narcissism narcissism and stupidism can run together. They can be parallel. And, And you're dealing with that because in his mind, he thinks that as he's been able to get away with it before, he might be able to get away with it again. He, that's what he thinks. He honestly believes in his mind, hey, you never know. And guess what? When you talk, talk about negotiations, OJ's ass was going to jail. They didn't know that a moment was going to come up at some point where Johnny Cochran had sat in his oh, house. That was one case that they had to prove his word over but, but No, but listen to what I'm saying. He was going to jail based upon a lot of things, including 
whether or not they could prove it or whatever. But he was going to jail, right? Wow. What I'm saying is, there was never well, really no proof that oh, there was just always speculation. Yeah, there was never. It was all circumstantial. But this yeah. is the thing. But this is my point. What was the turning of the tide in OJ's situation? Was if it doesn't fit, it you must acquit. Period. That was a moment that happened within the trial. That Johnny Cochran probably stayed up all day and all night thinking about the closing remarks or whatever, whatever time he said that shit, because that shit was good. Okay. And when he said it, it struck the nerves of all the jurors and the court in general to say, we really, it didn't fit. It didn't fit. But if you did, if you take out, if you remove Johnny Cochran's point, they were scared as shit. That entire defense table was afraid. They thought OJ was going to jail, even whether he was guilty or not. They thought he was going to jail because two white people had been killed and he was a nigger. And that's what they thought, right? I don't know if they're going to run niggers, so they might make us say he was a Negro. Okay, that's it, right? So what you, that's what they waiting on. R. Kelly them waiting on a if it doesn't they waiting on a moment that might hit and strike at the right time to be able to get his nasty sick self off because I've been first of all after I watched Saving uh, what was it Surviving R. Kelly those two I've never watched any of them I know you you couldn't watch you well actually I got you to watch like five minutes I called you I said gotta see you guys you started out and you said, you called me back and you said, listen, I can't, I can't even do this. I understand R. Kelly situation. He's done. And that's that. I cannot, I can't, I just can't. And there's a lot of people that said that my mother said she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it for many different reasons. And probably her own trauma, things she's thinking about from her hometown and her childhood. She couldn't do it. But I sat and I watched it because so many people that I know was trying to fight me for R. Kelly. And I said, well, maybe I let me go educate and inform myself because maybe I don't know everything. Now, I know the people who put the documentary together. And so from what I know about their credibility, I don't think that they would have gotten that deep into something that they know was just a bold-faced lie. But nonetheless, put that to the side, I wanted to see for myself. I sat my son and I watched every night. In fact, I was live tweeting during the show, right? Shit. The, the stories, his wife, his ex-wife, and all these other people, parents, the stories that they were telling. Nah, I can't tell you every person was telling the truth because there's no such thing. There's no such thing. You get 100 people that say you did something, somebody in the 100 is not telling the full story. You're not telling the truth. It's been enhanced. They heard somebody else say some stuff. They stole a little bit of that and put a little stank on their story. That's always going to be the case. But the crux of the matter, like the, 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 like the meat of it, right, is that this man is sick and he should have been stopped a long time ago. And there's a lot of other people. There are people who work for him. There's families and a lot of folks who were around who knew about this stuff. And they let their children be around him. They let other children get harmed by him. They let other women be harmed by him because of money and other things that folks wanted that was more important than the lives of those women, now women, who were impacted by this man. Even the way he grew up and the things that happened to him as a child, somebody should have paid for that. 
So there's a whole lot of blame, but nonetheless, this is a grown ass man. And he's going to have to pay the piper for the shit that he has done. And he needs to, to be clear. Well, with that said, that brings us to another ending of the show. You know, it is another informative show, a dope show. You know, shout out to all of our guests, Bruce McIntyre, Trudy Russell, who um, came here and gave us a lot of information and shared their own personal stories. And I hope their information, their stories can help somebody else. Um, you know, number one show, man. I tell you, we got the number one show in the world. It's not, there's no show like Street Politicians, man. Number one show in our hearts. No, it's in our, it's, it's in God's heart, man. Share, share, share. Share, share, share. Share, share, Let us know about any um topics you wanted to hear about. Give us some questions. Put your questions on YouTube. We'll try to get to a question every week to, you know, just to um make sure that we're taking our fans serious and understanding what they have questions about. And we're going to be here, man. Number one show in the world in our hearts and on the charts. As I, she said, it's in our hearts, but I'm saying it's in our hearts and on the charts. No, well, you can't tell people it's number one on the charts because they might not do the work. They got to go do the work to make us number one on the charts. That's Thank you, Thanks for joining Street Politicians, people. Once again, we might not always be right. Tamika might not always be wrong. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Salute. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.